Hello to you grumpy citizens of the UK and the rest of the world. Welcome to episode 6 of series 1, The Return of the Speckled Band. Uh, I'm Tom. Thank you very much for downloading once again. Hoping um, if you listen to this you're up to date, but if not, go back to episode 1 by all means and send me any feedback your way if you feel that I've got any information incorrect or something I could have added. I'll be much appreciated. One thing I haven't done throughout the series of recording these uh, this podcast, I've not speculated what the episode names actually mean because they're obviously quite spurious or they're quite well, they're somewhat cryptic. So I decided to actually, you know, bother to look up what the title "The Return of the Speckled Band" meant. Um, obviously, Google was my friend in the hour of need, and I believe it's based on a Sherlock Holmes short story. The Adventure of the Speckled Band, um, and it's to do with a speckled band is basically about a poisonous snake, of what I could uh, read from a synopsis. Uh, of course, in this episode, if you know it well, a snake does make an appearance and is fairly prominent throughout the episode, well, part way in anyway. So there we have it. I ought to go back and uh, research, you know, the other ti- uh, episode titles because Remick has got a knack for coming up with quite amusing, like I said, cryptic titles for any any sort of shows he released. That includes Jonathan Creek. They're not always that obvious. They don't always give you uh, or point. They always, they always point you in, in the direction of, of where the episode might may go. So anyway, let's crack on uh, with the show. Before we crack on with the show, actually, it's been scorching this Easter bank holiday which is very, very, very nice indeed. If you're lucky enough to have a garden, um, it's not so bad. Because, you know, if it if lockdown didn't exist, I'm quite sure I'd just be staying at home anyway in this weather. It's too hot to take the dog out anywhere, too hot, too hot to take the little one anywhere for too long. So actually, currently not missing out on too much by being at home. So trying to look at the positive side of, of things right now. Hope all are well. And it's, uh, yeah, let's crack on with reviewing The Return of the Speckled Band. So the scene opens up with Margaret and Mrs. Warboys. Mrs. Warboys making an appearance once again. Currently our only main outside character. Um, and to be honest with you, there aren't many characters outside of Victor and Mildred in this comedy anyway. So, yeah, Victor, sorry, Margaret and Mrs. Warboys sitting on the sofa um, having a piece of cake. Um, and we quickly established that Mrs. Mrs. Warboys has had food poisoning. Um, in the background, there's some thunder and lightning going on. Um, and she's about to go into detail about where she got the recipe uh, for the cake. Then Victor walks in looking, as ever, a little bit bemused. He's wearing a black hat, which, like I said, he doesn't seem too happy about. Um, I think he was trying to find a suit for something. But I think it might be for his a trip that they're going to be having, which we'll learn in a moment what that what that actually means. But with the hat on, Mrs. Warboys makes a remark saying he looks like the former President Gorbachev, but um, can't quite see what she means by that, other than the fact he's got a hat. It could be it could be likened to pretty much anything, but hard to say if it's a, a genuine sarcastic Mrs. Warboys making that kind of remark. It's hard to tell really if she is just being innocent with her remark or she knows how to. Um, push Victor's buttons as it were I don't think it's the latter personally so anyway um, the hat is 
apparently from Mrs. Warboy's uncle Edwin. And she makes a, f- a funny quip, why waste it on a corpse when I can give it to Victor? So, yeah, um, I don't know why at this stage he she's got him this hat. I think it is just to go with a suit that he's purchased, which he's not too pleased with as it, as it is. You know, notice throughout the um, One Foot in the Grey thing, Victor, Margaret and Mrs. Warboy's mention anyone but close distant relatives. They mention uncles, aunts, great uncles, great aunts, second cousins, but they rarely talk about their children. It's established they apparently have a son, Victor and Margaret, called Stuart, um, and it's something that sort of went over my head that they ever had a son. I think I re- recall them talking about maybe losing uh, their child. Um, like I said, I'm doing a rewatch on this, so I'd, my memory isn't quite sharp on uh, this this actual detail, but certainly not, not too sure Mrs. Warboys has children or even grandchildren. So, <clears throat> yeah, hopefully we'll learn more a bit that, about that as we go. But um, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you if um, she has or not. So anyway, yeah, um, it's referenced that Victor and Margaret are preparing for a holiday abroad. Much to Victor's dismay, he has very much a, a fear of flying, which is quite consistent with the episode One Foot in the Owl Garth, the special that comes a few series time. Because in that, Victor is vis- visibly terrified of flying in the air. So it's quite good that Renwick's kept up certain character traits. On the topic of Victor being um, terrified of flying, Margaret sort of spells out to Mrs. Warboys how terrified Victor is, and she quips that Victor says he'd rather have two weeks at a seaside resort run by Paul Pot, Paul Pot even, um, than fly in an aeroplane. And Mrs. Warboys responds with, who's Paul Pot? Which is really bizarre, given that um, later on in the series, they are playing Trivial Pursuit on a little boat in an episode sent in a few series time she is getting every single complex question correct but she doesn't know who Pol Pot is just spoke about the consistency of Victor's character trait but that one definitely isn't consistent given the that historical figure being I think most of us would have heard of that individual but there you go Margaret proceeds to talk about the fact that she is really she has persuaded Victor to go on, on a holiday abroad at last this year I put my foot down it was this fortnight and very reasonable, and I said, why don't we just take the plunge? Athens, you say? Yes. Uh, you ever been there? I haven't been there myself, but I hear it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I mean, I, I haven't been there for myself. It's, it's probably lovely. <laughs> hope so. Yeah. I just read somewhere that it's one of the ten most unpleasant places on earth you could go to for a holiday. Oh, goody, goody. <laughs> for pollution and congestion and what have you. Oh. Filth. <laughs> Squalor, litter in the streets. And when she, you know, finishes speaking, Mrs. Warboys says how it's supposed to be Athens, where they're going in Greece, it's supposed to be one of the 10 most unpleasant places to go on holiday. And she starts reeling off a list of places, uh, sorry, a list of um, things it's not so nice for, pollution, you know, noise, traffic, raw sewage, the list is endless. And she's really researched this off the top of her mind. She even gets out um, a printout on an article about holidaying in Athens being basically a, a terrible, you know, a terrible holiday to, to go on. That would wind up, anyone who's about to go on holiday but 
again, it doesn't really feel like it's done purposely by Mrs. Warbush to wind Victor and Margaret up. It's just, it's not, it's needless. It might be handy if you're thinking about going on a holiday, but when you've actually booked it and you're going, you know, within a couple of days, it's probably not ideal to read certain things out like that. And this is probably why Victor just builds up a small resentment for Mrs. Warboys because she just seems to play on his anxiety and nerves throughout. And it is funny, but from his point of view, you can see why that would wind you up. Margaret seems to let it slide, however. Victor steps away from the living room. He's fed up of hearing what he hears. Goes to the hallway, inspects the newly installed carpet. Of course, that was in the previous episode where I reviewed. They had a new carpet put down. So it's quite um, quite nice that the episode follows on from a previous storyline. It's quite rare in sitcoms that that would happen. But Victor references that the carpet's only been down a couple of weeks and already there's a stain for it. So he proceeds to head on into the kitchen to find some carpet cleaner. Which will, of course, bring us on into a, a humorous mix-up with Mrs. Warboys soon, who, bear in mind, is feeling quite sick or has been sick and poorly of late. In the midst of Victor making a uh, solution to clean the carpet with the doorbell rings, and it's actor Clive Mantle. You might recognise him from Casualty, Vicar Dibbley, Game of Thrones. Um, He is playing an electricity man. He's come to... He goes under the stairs to check the the readings. Uh, Victor's watching over him. And I think this is just to give more of a insight into that weird and strange life that people think Victor li- uh, lives. So the man from the electric company goes or proceeds to check the, the the meter which is located under Victor's stairs. The man pops his head out just to make just to summarize what he can see under the stairs and he goes out his way to tell Victor that he can he, he's found like a, a cuddly toy that's pinned up against the wall uh, with a with a hook in its ear and it's it's quite surreal isn't it? Which is the comment he makes to Victor. Kind of seems it does seem like a pointless, pointless um, thing to put in the episode. People who come who cross paths with Victor in the One Foot in the Grave universe, Renwick seems to have added in sort of random bits and pieces here and there just to give you that impression that is a, is a surreal household. Clive Mantle actor, he's he's like, like I said, he's there to read the meter located under the stairs, and he notices we don't see it, which is again probably for to leave to your imagination. But he mentions that there's a headless teddy bear on an exercise bike, which the man says, this is a bit surreal, isn't it? It would be if you were to see it, but it just seems totally pointless to me. And he pops his head back out again and says, his head's hanging on the wall with a hook in its ear. Victor returns the quip by referring to him as Lloyd Grossman, referencing through the keyhole. And quite right, really. You know, you're there to read the meter. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's none of your business what you may find in someone's house, if it's even if it's as strange as a headless teddy bear's. In the midst of that, uh, there's a lady at the door, pouring rain. Say she's she's from Oxfam, and she's picking up some items that Victor and Margaret have left by the the front door. Margaret goes to give the bag of stuff to the lady from Oxfam, and in the meantime, the the man from the electric company is just finishing up. Victor pops to the kitchen and finds poor Mrs. Warboys at the table with a sick bucket. She's not feeling none too good. Or none too clever. Victor says, "If you tried Andrew Liver Salt, that's supposed to be quite good for an upset stomach." And you know he's got this glass with the carpet cleaning solution, and then he's stirring it as he's describing this to Mrs. Poor old Mrs. Warboy. She necks it. <laughs> She's absolutely necked that in one. Of course, that is going to make her feel ten times worse. 
I mentioned now and again, when, when these things pop up in series one, there's similar uh, jokes that follow on in the series. So that's happened to, um, it usually happens to builders or visitors to Victor's home where they've, I think it's a painter and decorator, no, a window cleaner, that's it. Uh, there's lots of potions and stuff left out on Victor's kitchen table. And the painter, so I can see painter and decorator, the window cleaner thinks it's uh, coffee. Of course, he ends up having the, what's he, the shits? He has the runs for the rest of the episode and he's absolutely in dire straits. It's hilarious. But anyway, yeah, poor old Margaret. Sorry, Margaret. I think it's the weather doing this to me. Poor old Mrs. Warboys has unknowingly possibly poisoned herself thanks to Victor. Um, although he did have good intentions just for once. I think he does care when it matters when it comes to Mrs. Warboys. As Victor's calling out to Margaret to, to um, ask if the Andrew Liversaults are in the bathroom, Clive Mantle, so I call him, he is left shoeless. As is going to happen, the lady from the charity shop thinks the shoes left by the door are for the charity shop, for Oxfam. He's now left shoeless, and there's a funny exchange between Victor and the electric man. Where's my shoes? My shoes? Shoes? The things I was wearing on my feet when I came to your house. You didn't put them on top of that cardboard box. I might have done why. Well, that was smart, wasn't it? But that's just gone off to Oxfam. <laughs> are you winding me up? Well, why didn't you look where you were putting them? I didn't think I was putting them on the next plane to bloody Mozambique, did I? <laughs> Wished away to be airdropped to famine victims. Victor proceeds to help replace the shoes. Victor's feet are just far too, too small for this guy. Clive Mantle must be about six foot five. He's absolutely, I mean, Richard Wilson seems averagely tall, but this guy is huge, and it turns out he's got size 13 feet. Victor is absolutely gobsmacked at. Now, this is one of the possibly rare occasions where you can't really side... It's not solely Victor's fault, sole not being a, a pun intended, that the shoes have been nicked. But it's certainly not the fault of Clive Mantle, because he's been told to take his shoes off as he enters the house, or he assumes he has to because of the wet weather. He does. He's not to know that the it's going to his clothes. Sorry, clothes. His shoes going to be picked up by Oxfam, and he starts to get ridiculed by Victor really for having you know, big feet. Why are you wearing socks that thick? It's ridiculous. And the guy just wants to leave there with his own shoes. So, actually, on this occasion, Victor's annoyance at the guy isn't uncalled for. The grief that Victor gets back is just about justified and it's not that many times that happens because we do side with Victor as we've established well I've established anyway in between squabbling about it Victor quickly realizes that he may have the perfect replacement shoes um, as he has an old pair from his uncle George there we go uncle again it's nothing you know it's always about uncles aunts never really about children or grandparents well you know their sorry their parents or siblings as such although we do meet victor's brother later on it's always some um, unseen and heard only uncle but yeah he's got a pair of uncle george's old shoes in the attic clive mantle's character says to victor you're that strange bloke aren't you yes and he looks at his paper and pad 37 windgate uh they warn me about you well anyway yeah he says um yeah they warn me about you mutilated teddy bears under the cover so he's not the first to have uh referenced that to victor or pointed out to him. And he also says to Victor, aren't you going on holiday to Athens? I mean, 
I don't know how they'd know that information other than when this is just an on-the-spot visit. So I don't know. It's not like it's being booked through Victor Margaret and they're saying we're going on holiday soon. They just assume that or word gets around, I suppose. But more of a picture that Renwick's painting to show that Victor is living in this strange world. The fact that this guy who doesn't know them says, oh, apparently you've got strange mutilated teddy bears in your cupboard. It's just showing us, the viewer, that Victor's apparently weird and there's a misconception about his lifestyle, which is quite clever, cleverly done, really, because it will set us up for series after series where we can accept that the most strangest and surreal things are going to happen to Victor. And they're almost believable because we see it from Victor's point of view, mostly. So I thought that was quite interesting to know. Fast forward to the bedtime of that day, I assume. Victor and Margaret now in bed. It's hard to say if this is the same day or not. But the reason why I ask that is because, well, first of all, the scene opens up with Victor reading a book on Greece. Uh, he's still moaning about that. Um, and Margaret points out, well, at least it's been a nice hot place to go to and far away from home. She says then, put yourself in poor old Jean's, this is, this is not verbatim, but put yourself in Jean's shoes in hospital tonight having a stomach pumped. <laughs> which, we know why she's having a stomach pump, which is part of the comedy, but that is a quick turnaround from... If it's the same day that she glugged that carpet cleaner. Back in the days where NHS were able to act quickly, I suppose. Not a not a uh, dig at government's gone by. It's not a political show. But I just can't imagine. Unless in an emergency, I suppose, you could get your stomach pumped if you really had to. But yeah, just surprised that was all on the, in the same day, assumably. So let's look at my notes as well. I think possibly for the first time, it's referenced that Mrs. Warboys has a husband. Uh, as Margaret quite clearly states, the poor old husband has been away a week, so we never actually see him. From Margaret telling Victor that Mrs. Warboys, or Jean as she refers to her by first name, is having a stomach pump tonight. But um, she just says, think of poor Jean in hospital tonight, having a stomach pump. Plus the fact her husband's been away a week. God knows where he's been. I didn't make a... I noted this at the time of re-watching this episode, but when Victor says it's a mystery how Mrs. Warboys has suddenly become ill, and he is, I don't know if he's indirectly or directly responsible because she was already poorly before that, but Victor seems perplexed that how suddenly Mrs. Warboys has become ill. It's hard to say if there's certainly, he's certainly responsible for, for having a stomach pumped, even though she was sick before then. But it's interesting to note that I just realised that much again, much much later on in the in the series, I think series six, couldn't tell you the episode name. Mrs. Warboys innocently, a bit like how Victor innocently, or didn't mean to give her the carpet carpet cleaner in the glass. She gives him some black pudding that she brought back from a, a holiday, which he eats and digests and plays with his system, and he he thinks he's got some sort of bowel cancer, and it turns out to be just the black pudding um, because of the blood. From the black pudding that spills into his guts, and yeah, there's you know, comedy confusion with that. So it's quite interesting that there's a bit of a throwback to that later on in the series. There's quite quite a lot of funny um, or interesting links between storylines or mini plots. Just something that's just come to mind there. Because Margaret's referenced a, a lady called Mrs. Beringer, uh, and she is the person who is a regular to the place where Margaret works at a florist. She had spotted. Mrs. Warboys at the hospital. That's how Margaret found out. In the moment, Margaret said, says to Victor, are you still going to the garden centre? Because 
her could she give her husband a lift on the way down because he has no car at the moment or something uh victor agrees to this and he says he isn't going to be any trouble is he margaret with a worried look on his face the the scene ends there and it jumps straight to the garden center where victor's pushing around actor john cater who you might recognize from the dick emery show or uh, z cars or z cars amongst several other programs and he's acting like an absolute clown. He's sort of jolly in a nuisance way. He's pretending he's like in a racing car and he's just absolutely insufferable. And he's, they both spot this gentleman nearby who's just dropped a slab, a paving slab on his toe. And the guy that Victor's pushing leaps up to help the, 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 the other gentleman who's just injured himself, which makes Victor absolutely perplexed. And goes off on a ramble because he thinks he's doing Mr. K- this John Cater actor a favour by pushing around. And he goes... You can walk. Yes. How long have you been able to walk? Since I was about two years old, I can't remember. Push you three, three flights of stairs in the car park. And it's just... Again... You could call it an innocent mix-up, but this guy is thought he didn't he he wouldn't want to hurt Victor's feelings by not letting him push him. The mix-up derives from the fact that when Victor picked him up, he was sat in a wheelchair, and of course, if you're Victor, you're going to think he's got a disability. And the chap just said, "No, this is my wife's wheelchair. I just sat in there waiting for you to pick me up." So it's just absolutely infuriating for Victor. Funny, but. God, well, how he had the audacity just allowing to be pushed around the garden centre is just absolutely taking the mick. And this guy does not seem to comprehend the effort that Victor's gone through. I mean, it, it is funny, but that's probably a little, little too close to home, I think, where you, you're just trying to help someone out and they supposedly keep from you that they're actually more than able to do something for themselves. So when you find out that that individual is actually fine to sort themselves out, because you're gonna you're gonna do a victor on them, I think. John Cater does. I th- when I first rewatched this, I thought it was Bill Oddie. He's exactly the same image as Bill Oddie, That same kind of look. Back in Mrs. Warboy's home, we don't often see her the inside of her house, and it's I think there's only a couple of occasions where we've seen her bedroom and I think her living room. She seems to live in quite a plush, big. Big old estate. And Margaret's there just visiting her to see how she got on after operation. Uh, Mrs. Warbles has been on antibiotics and is just talking about how the, the confusion still carries on at why she had such a bad reaction in her tummy. And she describes how um, the bug wasn't killed off and maybe it was her, an old bug she had which was still lingering. Margaret's lent a video tape to Mrs. Warboys and Mrs. Warboys reads out the title, which is Alien. And again, her knowledge, her film knowledge is in none too clever because she, she she says, and she says, who's Ridley Scott's, pronounced it incorrectly for starters, so she, even back then, a world-class film director, she's certainly, her general knowledge doesn't seem that great at all. Like I said, given how well she does in Trivial Pursuit later on in the series, um, not, not too consistent. As Margaret sort of highlights how they've had so many sort of mini disasters in their life, the scene flips back to the garden centre. There's a garden, the garden centre manager, as played by actor Lloyd Maguire. 
Now, this is like a jobbing actor. You recognise him. If you don't know him by name, if you Google him, you'll recognise him. He's been in Teachers, the comedy. He's been in an episode of Jonathan Creek. Hundreds of, hundreds of other things. But he is always wearing a suit. This actor must have something in his contract that says, I must be wearing a suit. Must wear a proper three-piece suit. Because he does not look like a garden centre manager. That's how it's described in the episode description on IMDb. Garden centre managers would be wearing scruffs as far as I'm concerned. So the garden centre manager, played by Lloyd Maguire, is giving a telling off to one of his assistants. Look, you can't just mislay a bloody seven-foot-long Indian python. <laughs> How many times have I told you to put the top straight back on this tank whenever you've fed them? God, I don't know this place. That snake could be anywhere by now. And it probably is. Get looking. We established that a big seven-foot python has escaped its tank because the poor chap forgot to put the lid on, and now there's a big um, search for it. Yeah, so the garden manager, centre manager, finishes his uh, bollocking for the assistant and says, hey, get looking, you know, it could be anywhere by now. Scene cuts to Victor and Margaret's kitchen. And on the table, there's a shot of a like a wicker basket. Classic. It's a classic visual of what a, sna a snake in a basket would look like. And it's got Victor's stuff in the garden centre. As he's emptying the basket, there's a knock at the door. The guy at the door is a Geordie-speaking bin man, played by actor Willie Ross. I've never seen him in anything myself when I looked at him. Looked him up. I didn't recognise the programmes he'd been in, but he plays this quirky character quite well. And he's just there to say, we found um, your hat that's been put in the trash, basically. And I don't know what kind of uh, recycling centre will provide that service anymore, let alone back in 1990, 1991. Because I'd have thought they'd just keep it. I don't know why they... Unless they felt it was of some value, but he made the effort to go to... And I don't know where they would have got the address from either. But in the midst of talking about um, returning the hat... Victor goes to get some money to give a tip to the guy. Tip, again, not a pun done purposely. Because he thinks that's what he is after when he isn't. As Victor uh, gets some money, we see a shot of the python going up the stairs, which uh, the bin man clocks. And when Victor returns, he is quizzing Victor on his possession of a snake. And Victor just hardly understands what he's saying. You sly old bugger, you. <laughs> you're not telling me you're keeping snakes like that, innit, ya? Yeah. It's not, usually, it's not um, often you see Victor not giving someone a stern look. He's more sort of like perplexed, wary, um, politely just going along with what this Geordie is saying because I think the accent's quite strong. And he even references to Victor, you're keeping snakes like that in here. And he goes off on a tangent about this and offers Victor some alligator eggs, which Victor politely agrees to, not knowing he was being serious. And then um, shuts the door on him. Quite honest of the bin man, really, to have um, returned what he assumed was quite a precious um, hat that poor Victor just wanted to get rid of. I'm going to keep referencing this, but there are certain subplots so that I'll repeat throughout the show because... It's not the first time Victor comes in possession of something that he really doesn't want. And the number of times he tries to get rid of it, or that possession, and it returns to him comically, is quite amazing, really. 
repeated thing that Renwick likes to introduce or reintroduce throughout. Victor goes off for a walk just to calm his head. I think he's just getting increasingly more um, anxious about flying. Um, But yeah, the next scene is, I don't know if it's the same day or not, Victor returns to say that he's chucked away the hat again. I don't know what he's got. The hat isn't anything... It's not an obviously bad hat. I I think it's overemphasised that Victor hates it, dislikes it too much. I think it's just for just to provoke a reaction from the character, I think. Nothing more than that, I'd say. So as Victor's reading the newspaper, yeah, he says, you know, I suppose we'll be up there tomorrow in the air, which is causing him no end of anxiety. Margaret says, this be as safe as crossing the road. And we hear, and it works every time, and it's been done several times over. As she says that, you can hear a car outside presumably nearly crashing skidding across the uh, curve side which is, is funny it's it's quite simple but um, it is effective for Vic, victor's poor nerves um alongside that Vic, um sorry margaret says that she thinks there must be a ghost in the house as two raw kidneys have been eaten she's insinuating that victor's eaten them and he you know, absolutely denies it and we know it's the, the the snake is victor returns to reading his newspaper and something happens now, which happens quite a few times in the series. He's, his disbelief is such that somebody is written in about Victor, slagging him off. And this just goes to show how well known he is in the local community. Uh, I speculated in the first episode or two, when he had the graffiti abuse on his wall, he must be relatively well known in the area to for people to be that cruel to him. But um, somebody's written in the newspaper under the section... Your prayers are asked, or your prayers are answered even. And he reads out an article um, for somebody's great uncle Dick. So Victor is, reads his um, uh, local rag and he comes across the following amusing article, which, can I just say, happens time and time again throughout the series where poor old Victor is slagged off by members of his community dumbfounded really would it cause anyone to experience all sorts of anxiety and paranoia about how you're perceived well he's not worried about how he's perceived but the fact that he thinks people are always against him and this is why have you seen this well, how can i have seen it you've only just brought it in this bit here they put in the local each week your prayers are asked mm-hmm. your prayers are asked for great uncle dick and his suffering may be eased for dennis and deirdre on their recent tragic loss for Auntie Jane, that a miracle cure may be found. And for Victor Melter, who's going on a fortnight's holiday to Athens. You're making that up. Look, it's here, black and white. Yeah, look, you can see it. Yeah, look. Somebody's put this in for devilment. You know who this is? Nobby Godfrey. He's in the parking line at the Herald. He got a reduced rate. I'll reduce him next time I see him. Nobby Godfrey. There's some um, funny character names popping up all over the shop. Anyway, fast forward to night time. Victor Margaret sound asleep, and we see between Victor Margaret something very slithery and uh, snake-like uh, under the sheet, so we assumably is the case. Victor shoots up and says his um, left leg's gone to sleep, and it feels all scaly. And it's such a near miss because we don't actually see the snake on this occasion. As Victor stands up, um, out of bed, and Margaret just says, "Like you just got a bit of cramp, you know. Just you know, get back to sleep." Following morning, um, Margaret 
uh, wakes up, leaves the bedroom, uh, pulls the cover off of both of them, and the python is... This has got to be very brave of Richard Wilson. Um, on his chest um, and sort of side of his face, it's just unbelievable how, she, you know, she wouldn't notice this anything like that on his on her husband's body, especially Victor. I mean, he is asleep, but blimey, the pressure of that on your um, your neck and your windpipe must be absolutely astonishing. It's quite it's quite a brave. Um, real life prop to use actually as uh, Vix is clearly having some sort of lying because um, Margaret calls from the bottom of the stairs it's half past nine Victor oh my god no <laughs> whatever is it what's happened Gloria Honeyford and breakfast television <laughs> if, uh, if, he, if he's up yet out of bed to which Victor returns to that comical, um, oh my God, no! That only Richard Wilson be able to pull off, I think. Um, Margaret rushes up the stairs, and you know, we, the viewer, when you first watch this, are thinking, he's actually spotted the snake. Oh my God, I was going to cope with this. <laughs> and it's nothing to do with that at all. It's um, He's bemoaning the fact that Gloria Hannaford's on breakfast television again. Which is hilarious. Also hilarious because he... Victor being over the top, he gets the insect repellent, which is a clever little link to the fact there's a snake loose in the house and sprays the television with it just to um, jokingly or mockingly getting rid of her. At the breakfast table, Victor's querying mystery box package is doing. Uh, Margaret says it's just arrived this morning for Victor. He wasn't expecting anything. Victor reads the side of the box and it says alligator. Now, obviously, we know what that means, but... To be fair, the last thing they're going to think of is alligator eggs. But Margaret is seen boiling these eggs and asks if, she, if Victor can take them round to poor old Mrs. Warboys. Um, he's always at the the it's well, he's always at the wrong place at the wrong time on the brunt end of most unintentional pranks. And um, we could say that how can they not for a minute question that they're alligator eggs? But you just wouldn't. Um, like Margaret understandably says that must be just the firm name. But, um, yeah, they're rather large, like, geese eggs, I'd say, or duck, no, not duck eggs, but they're larger than normal. So they must assume it's a bird of some kind anyway. When we see Victor handling Mrs. Warboys her breakfast tray in bed, she wishes that he and Margaret a safe trip. And the camera pans slowly into Mrs. Warboys as she's opening up the egg with a, with a spoon and knife. And as the camera pans right up close to... Uh, Mrs. Warboy's face, she is staring in amazement and lets out an almighty scream. God knows what alligator fetus looks like, but um, it must be pretty grim viewing. On the one hand, at least she didn't consume it, and you know, that could have been another stomach pump job for Mrs. Warboy's back in the um, military household. There must be a rather quick visit to Mrs. Warboy's because Victor's back again. He's suited and booted still, but he, but Margaret is uh, still making their breakfast. So certainly, it's definitely the same day because it's referenced by Mrs. Warboys that they're flying in a couple of hours' time, or certainly by Victor. And this time, there's another package at the table, um, and it's it's the hats that's returned for a what a third time, I suppose. Twice it's been returned to Victor, but a third time he's been in possession of it anyway. And he reads the letter. Kind of refrain from 
dumping your cast-offs in other people's bowling skips. Once again, actually, it's for the second time this episode, the person that has written the complaint letter has every right to, although quite picky, he has just dumped um, his possession into their skip. It's fly-tipping. So, actually, it's quite unlike Victor to not follow the letter of the law, although it's better than chucking it, you know, on the street or whatever or in someone's back garden. But considering he has a lot to say about people throwing litter in his garden... It's quite contradictory for him, or quite hypocritical for him to complain about this, um, especially since he's dumped, like I said, an item in someone else's bin. A valid question for Victor. He, want, he doesn't know how they got the address to send it back to him, so unless it's well known that it's his hat, that's the assumption made anyway, then I don't know how they knew his address. But there you go. Um, as he's reading, as he's figuring that out, Margaret's carrying his suitcase down the stairs and she's commenting how heavy it, you know, heavy it is. Clearly we know there's a seven foot python in there. She quips that Victor has a lot to say about, you know, they shouldn't be taking too much. But there's three huge suitcases for two people, you know, not going with anyone else, you know, no kids or, or anything. It's just a, a, a holiday to Greece. So they're in the taxi uh, and Margaret asks Victor, have you taken your tranquilizer? She, presumably to something to help relax him. First of all, that's quite strong medication to take to relax yourself. He's going to practically fall asleep before they even get to the airport at this rate. He's taking it quite early. I imagine it's quite early to take something as strong as tranquilizers anyway. Victor's got a positive outlook now. He said it's going to be absolutely all right. Things are never as bad as you think. He has a close call with um, thinking he's forgotten his reading materials. He goes to open the bag and you think he's going to find the, the snake, but he... We never see him um, encounter it anyway. But he decides, no, he's packed his, his reading books, he doesn't need to look in there, and the episode ends. God only knows um, at what point they would have discovered the snake at the Luton Airport, or would it have been in Athens Airport, who knows. Would they have even got that as far as uh, getting on the plane? I'm not too sure what the security would have been like back in the early 90s. Um, Sure, they've had scanning machines back then. Would they have made it as far as going on holiday? I don't know. Actually, I'm just correcting myself there. Of course they went on holiday because this is the final episode of Series 1. Series 2 will open up with the episode titled In Luton Airport, Nog and Heath Scream. It's quite a clever link, really, to them returning from holiday. That is how I perceive it anyway. And there's a thing in the One Foot in the Grave annual book uh, where Renwick has stressed how difficult it was to explain Margaret's haircut because she... Ends series one with long hair. Series two, she's got the short hair, and she remains to have that haircut throughout. I can't remember what he, how he explained or how he, how he wrote into the script of why she had a haircut. I don't think it's even referenced. I think he just hoped people wouldn't take it seriously. And he is a perfectionist as a writer, so I think he did do his head in that. That was the case. You know, actors, actresses can change their their look or their style. I think some. Actors and actresses are required to sign a contract to not, you know, make drastic changes to their personal appearance for the plot consistency. But given this was an end of a series, perhaps they didn't know if it would be renewed or commissioned for a second series or not. So I think if I was David Renwick, I'd just say, well, she had a haircut on holiday. There's nothing unusual about that. But anyway, yeah, I thought it was quite a, quite a good episode. It's hard to say what my favourite episode was throughout the series one. I'll pick out my favourite. I was saying my favourite was... The Eternal Quadrangle. I still don't know if I even pronounced an episode title correct. Quadrangle. The Eternal Quadrangle. 
with the art uh, nude model that's probably my favorite episode this is a very good episode i've just reviewed but i'd say that was definitely my favorite series one is so the, the tone the the vibe in general is so different compared to the rest of the series and it gets better and better um, and i'm very much looking forward to reviewing series two for you guys thank you so much to everyone who's downloaded so far I'm not going to end the episode here obviously we've got the Meldrew Moan Corner so let's get on with that oh I do not will you look at this bastards can you believe the nerve of this I've skinned their ruddy heights for them here we are again a lockdown episode that's all this series has ever known I mean I started this a time before the lockdown but as as i get through these episodes these series for all i know the lock well for all we know the lockdown could go on for another month or two so we might be able to bash out series two yet therefore it's tricky to moan about something i say every episode that's not coronavirus related but it's almost impossible because i like to moan at the best of times but certainly topical things okay i've got something to moan about oh my God. this will do anyone's head in there's an i was queuing up outside a local budgeons where i live and I had my um, little one in, in a pram getting a few essential supplies. Um, they may or may not have been cider and wine, amongst other things. But um, there's only four or five of us queuing. It's one in, one out procedure. And I think that's the case for a lot of supermarkets. And I noticed this car with three lads and a woman. I first thing I thought was, unless you all live together, you're not exactly following the rules right now. One of the, the lads came out topless, arrogantly walked past all of us. And I thought, perhaps he's just walking past through the queue to get to the other side of the... To, of the shopping estate and he was about to go into budgeons just arrogantly walking past everybody and there was a kudos to the budgeons worker who's putting out plant pots and flowers and he was very very uh, calm with this guy who could have kicked off because he was clearly some twat but he said you can't go in there mate you know there was a queue and there's a couple of the ladies in the queue saying no you know we've all been waiting and we've all got to do it you need to get back and he was just refusing and he was sulking there he must have been early 20s so he had his top off, it was a sunny day, and he just thought, you just want to, well, you know what you want to do to him, you want to you wanna smack him, because you think, how dare you, like, how can you walk, stroll past us thinking that's acceptable? We're British here, aren't we? Even people who aren't British know to cue um, responsibly and accept that rules are rules. And he was sort of calmly spoken down by the, the, the worker, which, again, he was great with him because he didn't rile him up, he could have sort of turned nasty. And the guy... The chav, I'm going to call him, uh, used the most lame excuse and said, well, I've got my wallet on me anyway. And then went back in his car. And I think it must have been his mum drove drove them back to wherever they, whatever hovel they came from. Probably offensive to say that. But to be fair to the mum, I assume it was his mum. She just sort of called him back to come back to the car so it calmed him down. But yeah, absolute little shit. He just had no regard for anyone else. And that would... I think everyone was a victim elder in that moment. But yeah, kudos to the budgeon's work on that one. So that is my Meldrew moan. you got any military moans send them my way i like to read out other people's some um, trivial problems and this time our problems aren't as big as they usually be because we're indoors not much to do apart from our health if our, if our health is is um in a good state then we haven't got too much to moan about right now anyway thank you very much for listening to the show 
do get in touch if you want to be a part of any episodes. Just like to give a shout out to the Great British Shitcom Podcast who followed my Twitter and would like to make an appearance on a particular episode they've reviewed in a couple series time. So yeah, I, I expect I'll have my first um, interaction on this show. Unless you want to get there first, just let me know. Happy to arrange that. But yeah, um, as they say, stay incredibly safe um, and try and enjoy the indoors. Try not to get sunburned. And I'll see you hopefully next week for Series 2, Episode 1. Cheers. They tell me I am well past my prime The landlord in the sky's calling time But there's one thing Hello? Hello? The bloody hell's everyone gone?